Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Been There, Done That podcast. I'm your host, and I go by Ben. Welcome to episode 38, which makes this your Kurt Schilling episode. Shout out to Kurt Schilling, Bloody Sock, if you know, you know, which I looked up and saw it went for $95,000. Bloody Sock that Kurt Schilling wore in game two of the 2004 World Series. Sock went for almost 100 k So, shout out to the person who spent that much money on a bloody sock. Good for them. Anyway, moving on. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Because, I'll be honest, with football done and basketball not quite to the postseason yet and baseball just now getting going with spring training, content is a little slow right now. Um, But we do have some some things going on still that I do want to talk about. Uh, First up, the Chiefs have made a few moves so far this offseason. They are... You can kind of feel the the craziness of it all about to, to kick off once the, the, the league year begins in a couple weeks uh, when things are really going to start going crazy. Um, but they have made a few moves and they're kind of getting ready for it. So we'll talk about the, f- the few things they've done so far. Um, part of it um, or part of what I also want to do is look at just share some random NFL stats and, and fun notes that I found on social media. All right, there's really no structure to that, to that at all. But uh, I have, you know, whenever I see interesting or fun facts about sports in general and typically the NFL, they know my algorithm and I have NFL stuff pop up a lot. And so I, I like to screenshot them and hold on to them. And so I think today I'm going to share some of those. And then also the court storming incident with Duke and Kyle Filipowski this past weekend. I want to talk a little bit about that, um, maybe a potential solution to the whole court storming issue. I think I have it figured out. Um and then from there, I'm going to give you my top 10 cereals of all time. And this, I, I think, might be my most controversial list yet. So you're going to want to stick around for that because it could get a little spicy there at the end. And then, of course, we'll finish it off, as always, with the office quote of the week. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Starting off with, with the Chiefs offseason moves, some things they're doing right now. Um, what they did last week, they signed punter Matt Ariza. Ariza, I'm not 100% sure how it's pronounced. I'm going to go with Ariza for now. That's what I've been hearing. Um, punter Matt Ariza for a one-year $795,000 deal. You know, So pretty close to the, the league minimum. You can't get paid much less than that in the NFL. So as cheap as it gets, uh, which is significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's pretty clearly going to mean the end of Tommy Townsend's time. In Kansas City, um, you know, he made an All-Pro in 2022. So last season, he made it. He was the best punter in the NFL, um, according to the voters, and had a really good season. He came back down to earth a little bit this year. He didn't have his best year. He had some moments and was a little bit off here and there. Um, but he was. He's always been a great holder. He's never had any issues when it comes to holding. The chemistry and the understanding between him and Butker is huge. Um, but you know, given he, now that he's you know finishing up, he's finished up his rookie contract and uh, has an All Pro under his belt. He's probably going to be pretty close to the high end of what of what a punter can make in the NFL, and it would make sense for him to go somewhere, you know, like the Panthers or the Jets. I don't some team that needs a really good punter. Um, but Rowdy's he's going to go make more money somewhere else, which is fine, you know, because this is just one of those situations where. The, the how much your punter makes 
you know, we don't really think about it much, but if you can save three, four million on your punter, you know, that adds up when the more you can do that. Uh, I mean, just to give you an idea, Drew Tranquil, who was a huge piece for the Chiefs, uh, you know, a huge offseason signing this this last year, made three million dollars this year. And so the difference between, you know, moving on from your your former all pro punter who's going to make probably four to five million, even we'll call it three to four million. And instead going with, you know, another guy who is not even making a million, you save yourself three to four million bucks. That can be the the difference between you signing Drew Tranquil and you not signing Drew Tranquil. Right. So it's stuff like that. It's the little moves here and there that help you sign other free agents or even just um, save up a little bit more money when you're trying to, um, you know, keep your bigger name guys. Uh, which there's a little bit more news on that we'll talk about in a second, but a little bit more on the punters, which I want to stay here for a second as a former punter. Um, I, you know, have an affinity with the kickers and got to talk about them, give them some love a little bit. But Matt Ariza is an interesting situation because he was drafted by the Bills in 2022 and he was cut just a few months after that um, because of allegations of sexual assault. And he was named in a lawsuit with that whole thing, which was later dropped. And th- it was actually this past July. Um, all the uh, the lawsuit was dropped and there were no criminal charges brought forward. Any potential charges were dropped. And so that being said, I'm not here to sway anyone's opinions on anything regarding the lawsuit or the case at all. I, I, all I know is the, the lawsuit was dropped and no charges were filed in the case, which means he, he's in the clear and uh, there's no further action that's going to be happening regarding this case. And the chiefs ultimately believe that that means he's, he's ready to be a punter in the NFL again. All right. So these are just the facts and it, it's, it's pretty in, in line with the way the chiefs have operated in the past, right? We've seen Tyreek Hill, who's had some domestic issues, as I guess you could call them. Um, they, you know, they gave him a second chance and, um, and he did really well for the, last few years in his time in Kansas city. And, and so we, we've seen this before from the chiefs of if they fully believe that the player is either innocent or, you know, ready to, to move on, move forward with their life and things like that. They, they're not opposed to giving guys another chance, even if they have um, maybe a question mark or, or something along those lines in their past. Um, so it, it's, it's in line with what they've done in the past. Um, but again, there, if there's more. There's plenty of information about what happened out there on the internet, and uh, the the important thing is, like I said, the lawsuit was dropped, no charges were filed, and so he's he's kind of back to normal, I guess, as as normal as he could be with it, with a situation like that. So, um, those are the facts that that's what he's going to be the Chiefs punter this year. And as far as his actual skill set as a punter, um, I mean, he's got a lot of potential, right? He he was. The fact that he was even drafted as a punter, I think, speaks to kind of his raw talent. Right? He he punted at San Diego State, and and he earned the nickname Punt God in college. Uh, and, and and he actually he punted a little bit in the preseason with the Bills before everything came out before he got cut. And he had an 82 yard punt in a preseason game. So if, if the if the math isn't mathing in your head right now, they were the ball was at the. Uh, it was snapped from the 80, sorry, from the 18 yard line, which meant he was kicking from about the 10 yard line 
and put it into the other end zone. So, I mean, he has an absolute rocket for a leg, you know, uh, which low-key, I'm a little excited to watch. <laughs> like, of course, I don't want to see our punter do all that much, but I'm like, every once in a while, if it's like a bit of blowout and you're just kind of milking the clock and playing the field position game, yeah, let's put our punter and see how far he can kick it. You know, it could be a little fun. We get bored of winning Super Bowls. Let's just see how far our punter can kick it, you know. Um, that's where the Chiefs are at now. But uh, like I said, he's got a huge leg. And the fact that he was even drafted at all as a punter speaks to the you know what was on film as as a, as a punter in college and just one of those you know fun energy guys as a punter. So what that means for the Chiefs specifically on the field, probably not a ton, I would imagine. Again, because he's a punter, um, but I think it's a little bit more significant. It, it, this isn't the 2018 Chiefs anymore, where it's like if they get the ball, they're going to score. It's not not quite the same anymore. As we saw last year, they're a much more defensive-minded field position team. And and, and field position matters a lot more than it used to. And and so hopefully he can just slide right in and be a a weapon for the Chiefs. And I think he can be. Um, You know, with Dave Tobe, good history with with punters and the punt team. So I'm like, the, the punter in me is looking forward to seeing what he can do. Um, but of course, as a Chiefs fan, hopefully we don't see him all that often. But just thought it was significant, and we, and we can. It's another one of those things we see the Chiefs freeing up some money for for th- some more of the big name, bigger name guys, such as Lajerry Sneed. Which this is probably the biggest news of the offseason so far is that as of yesterday, um, the Chiefs informed Lajerry Sneed that they plan to franchise tag him, um, and this is significant for a couple reasons. Um, and it also, it doesn't necessarily mean they're keeping him. Okay. I mean, a lot of times when we hear franchise tag, we just kind of assume, oh, they have franchise tag. That means they're coming back. It's not necessarily the case. Uh, we, uh, we went over a little bit of the possible scenarios last week of what that might look like. But they, like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean they're keeping him. Um, it, it can mean one of two things. Number one, it could mean they're extending the window that they have to negotiate with him. All right, and, and so his franchise tag is right around 19 million, um, and so they could he could just come back for another year and, and buy him basically buy another year of time to negotiate. Um, or if the Chiefs don't think they're going to be able to come to an agreement with him on a long term deal, it, they could use it as a tag or as uh, what they call tag and trade, meaning they franchise tag him, and then basically try to figure something out with another team and trade him. And see what they can get back for him. And you know, the reality is a 27-year-old versatile corner in his prime, I think, will will give a pretty solid return. Um, and you could probably get a decent haul back for him. I, I I don't know exactly based on the cap numbers and all that, like what you're gonna get. Like maybe a late first round or a second rounder or a, maybe a wide receiver from somewhere. I, I don't really know exactly what that's gonna look like. Um, but those are their options at this point. They can, like I said, they can tag and trade him or they can use it as a time to extend the window and hopefully try to figure out something long term. Um, but they they also they told him that was their plan of like, we're going to franchise tag you and ha- try to figure something out. But we're also we, you know, if, if it's not in the cards, we, we may look to franchise or to trade you as well. And he's seen according to reports, he, he seemed to be on board with that and understood and thought it made sense. So. 
All that being said, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. Could be either one of those, but it's going to be one of those two things. They're either going to buy another year to try to negotiate, or it'll be uh, time for Legere's need to be traded, which is kind of sad, but it's also, you know, he helped win two Super Bowls and, and he's going to help, you know, with whatever his compensation is for, for his trade, you know, hopefully helping us in the future. So um, the other side of this whole thing is that it means they're not using the tag on Chris Jones, which can also mean one of two things. Um, either Chris Jones and the Chiefs are nearing a long-term deal, which I've actually I've heard reports that this is what's happening that they're, you know, they're trying to reach long-term deal. And it's it's a little tricky because we know what happened last year when this when they tried to do that. Um, although after this season, I think things have changed a little bit, you know, and the the you know, with the value and the the um, salary cap increasing in this offseason is going up quite a bit. Um, every every offseason is different. Every set of circumstances is different. And so you never know. But like I said, that's option number one. They could be trying to come to a long-term deal, which from what I understand, they're in, they're in talks. They're trying to do that. Um, and the other option is that he's just getting ready to test the open market. And that, again, we've maybe just seen the last of Chris Jones in the Chiefs uniform. Um, and and I, I really do think if he if he's getting ready to test the open market, you know, if, if he if it gets to March 13th, I think that's the date of the the new league year, and he's not been or they haven't agreed on a new long term deal or whatnot, and he just tests the open market. I don't think he's re-signing in Kansas City, and I don't think the Chiefs have the money to do that. There are other teams out there with significantly more cap space, um, with guy rookie or quarterbacks on rookie contracts and it just doesn't you know that math doesn't quite add up as much as well if, if he's able to go and just let the free marketplace you know take care of it so hopefully you know I, I i kind of feel like if they don't have anything figured out before the the start of the league year in in march then he's probably not coming back so but yeah once again those are those are kind of the two potential possibilities um and when it comes to chris jones but main thing is they've told legerious sneed they're going to use a tag on him so granted there are still a handful of different ways that this thing can go and different outcomes that we could see from it but um that's where we're at right now as of as of right now two o'clock on wednesday february 28th and there have been times in the past where as i'm recording there's like big news that comes out about a, a signing or people getting cut. Um, uh, speaking of people getting cut, I, it just now popped in my head. Remember, I saw this morning, MVS also got cut uh, this morning. So the Chiefs are going to save another $12 million in cap space, which is good. You know, good for their cap situation, I should say. Uh, I think MVS bought back a little bit of goodwill because of his uh, performance in the playoffs, and not just this playoffs, but in both of the, both of his years here, his the way he showed up in the playoffs. Um, but just overall the production it wasn't worth the contract he was getting and so maybe they figure something out where they you know restructure or just give him a, a different deal where he makes a lot less but um, the chiefs are cutting him and, and they're going to save 12 million in cap space for that so another one of those 
things where they're trying to free up as much as they can to keep all of their really big name guys. Um, so glad I remembered that before I did, uh, or before I just moved on from it. So, you know, of, of course, we're hopeful they can find a, to, a, find a way to make it all work. But the reality is when you start rattling off Super Bowls, it's because you have good players and, and those players are going to get paid. You know, that's just business. That's just the state of things in the NFL. That's just nature of the NFL. So um, that being said, I am pulling my phone up because I, I want to look through and find a couple of these fun little facts or statistics or, or different things that I've stumbled across in, um, you know, it's just throughout social media. And so let's see, I'm pulling things up right now. I'm trying to think of a good one to start with. Um, this one from October 29th. So a couple months ago before this year's playoffs, but the longest uh, active NFL streaks or NFL playoff streaks um, so I'm adjusting now to this most recent postseason, but the Chiefs have made it to the postseason nine years in a row. And the next closest team is the Bills at five in a row, uh, Buccaneers at four in a row, and then Eagles, 49ers, and Cowboys at three in a row. Um, so, yeah, the Chiefs have been to nine straight postseasons, and the next closest team is five. So that's impressive. That's pretty sweet. Um, let's see, what's another one? Oh, here's a fun one. This was also from October. Uh, Travis Kelsey, at the age of 34, recorded more reception yards in a game than Rob Gronkowski ever recorded in a single game. So do with that what you will. I think I have more on that front moving forward. Um, gosh, there's a couple that I had in my mind that I am i can't seem to find them as I'm scrolling through. Um, oh, here's a fun one. Here's a fun one. Josh Allen playoff wins in his career uh 2020 of the farewell tour of philip rivers so philip rivers you know was kind of on a basically out there on a walker um 2020 in the next round he beat lamar jackson who left the game in the third quarter because of a concussion um so those you know that's when that's the year he made it to the afc championship game and got smoked by the chiefs um and stefan diggs stefan diggs by the way is still out there watching the postgame ceremony on arrowhead never left um, in 2021, he beat Mac Jones. In 2022, he beat Skylar Thompson. In 2023, he beat Mason Rudolph. So, again, Philip Rivers at the end of his career, Lamar Jackson after he left after the third quarter, and then Mac Jones, Skylar Thompson, Mason Rudolph. Those are the five quarterbacks that Josh Allen has beat in the playoffs. So, that's that's y'all's guy. Way to go. You can have him. Uh, moving on. Let's find another one. Hmm. Oh, this one's pretty interesting, I think. There there was a, a thing that came out right after the Super Bowl ended about the similarities between the 2020 season and the 2024 season. And the, the list, it's like one of those Lincoln and Kennedy things that you could just, it, it just, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and I'm going to read some of them. So things that happened in 2020, 2024, similarities. The Chiefs and 49ers in the Super Bowl. Chiefs winning, of course. Lamar Jackson wins MVP. Uh, Ravens win the AFC North. Texans win the AFC South with 10 wins. Chiefs win AFC West. Uh, Chargers are last in the AFC West. Uh, Washington was last in the NFC East with 13 losses. Panthers were last in the NFC South. Uh, 49ers win the NFC West. Cardinals were last in the NFC West. Uh, Chiefs were the home team. The 49ers were the one seed. 
Billie Eilish won Song of the Year. We'll turn there. The Chiefs were plus 600 preseason odds to win the Super Bowl. Uh, 49ers beat the Packers in the playoffs. Uh, here's where we really start getting interesting. The Bruins and the Maple Leafs finished top five in the East. Um, currently, Bruins and Maple Leafs are, are top five in the East in the NHL. The Avalanche finished second in the West in 2020. The Avalanche are currently second in the West. The Celtics and the Bucks both finished top three in the East, and the Celtics and the Bucks are currently top three in the East. The Nuggets finished third in the West. The Nuggets were, are currently third in the West. Um, the number one seed won the college football playoff in 2020. The number one seed won the college football playoff in 2024. Um, there were two undefeated teams to play in the college football playoff um, both years. The loser of the college football playoff lost by three scores. Um, Joel Embiid has surgery to repair his left hand in 2020, and this year he has surgery to repair his left knee. Um, the Panthers fired Ron Rivera after a loss in 2020, and the, this year the Commanders fired Ron Rivera after a loss. Uh, and then my, maybe my favorite one of the whole list, the winner of the, search, the Citrus Bowl scored 35 points both years. So I hope I didn't lose you through all that, but I mean, that was like, what, 20, 25 different things that all just lined up exactly the same in 2020 to 2024. So, I mean, here's to hoping 2024 doesn't turn into what 2020 was, but, you know, kind of, I don't know. Some of those things are pretty similar, you know? Uh, Anyway, moving on to another fun post about Chiefs penalty yards differential. I've, I've, I've uh, mentioned this one in the past. Um, in 2018, they were 31st in penalty yards differential. In 2019, they were 27th. 2020, they were 27th. 2021, they were 17th. So league average was the best and in, in for their penalty yards differential. 2022, they were 25th. And this last year, they were 31st in penalty yards differential. So, um, and when you look at the opponent penalties this season, Opponents were called for 73 penalties, the second fewest in the NFL, and the the opponent penalty yards, 604, which is third fewest in the NFL. So Chiefs have pretty consistently been way more flagged than their opponents, and their opponents have not been flagged very much at all. But as we know, what what happens with the narrative, you know, and they, if anything, the refs have made it more difficult for them, but they've overcome it. They haven't just complained about it. And which reminds me a little side note here. I've, I don't know what it is. I, even in the last week, I feel like the, the whole narrative about the chiefs only won the super bowl because they didn't have a holding called on them. Like that whole narrative has really taken off a lot in the past week or so, which is, you know, it kind of hurts my brain, but it's, you know, it's where we're at. People got to think of something. People are getting bored in the off season, I guess is what's happening. But, you know, I found it, I just find it fascinating <laughs> that, even in a game like that, when the refs were pretty, I mean, pretty even, I guess you could say, for the most part, they, I think they did a good job. They let the guys play. And you think about the game against the Eagles the year before, everyone was mad that the, the refs threw their flag when there was a penalty. And so this year, the the, the refs don't throw flags because that's what y'all wanted. That's what everybody wanted is the refs to not throw their flag. And so they didn't throw their flags. And now people are mad again, you know. So it's just, it goes, it's that narrative again about people are just mad about the Chiefs. But speaking of Chiefs, here's a different post. The AFC standings in the past 10 years. And this was, when was it? This is, okay, this is right before the Super Bowl, a couple days before. The Chiefs were, in the past 10 years, the Chiefs are 132 and 52. And the next closest is the Patriots at 115 and 64. Um, 
look at the AFC West, the, the second place, the Broncos are 79 and 88. The Chargers are 76 and 90, and the Raiders are 71 and 94. So the other three AFC West opponents, of course, all have losing records in the last 10 years, which is awesome. Um, moving on to just a couple more. This is a fun one. If when you look at Mahomes, if you if he keeps his current pace and plays as long as Tom Brady, here's a fun side by side of um, you know what Mahomes the end of his career will look like if he plays until he's 45, just like Brady. So Super Bowl wins, it would be 11 to seven in favor of Mahomes. Regular season wins would be 287 to 251 in favor of Mahomes. Um, regular season pass touchdowns would be 862 to 649 in favor of Mahomes. Regular season passing yards would be 111,000 to 89,000 in favor of Mahomes. Playoff wins would be 55 to 35 in favor of Mahomes. Playoff pass touchdowns would be 150 to 88. You guessed it, in favor of Mahomes. And then, of course, finishing up playoff pass yards would be 18,000 to 13,000 in favor of Mahomes. So, you know, hopefully Mahomes keeps this pace that he's on. What's been the best six-year start to an NFL career. Hopefully he stays on that pace and just blows Tom Brady's stats even out of the water. Um, So, two other ones that I wanted to look at. Uh, um, Where did it go? Where did it go? Okay. Gronk versus Kelsey postseason stats. Actually, that one's the most fun. I'm going to save that for last. The next one, second to last one, a stat about Mahomes in, uh, I reposted this on my Instagram the other day, but since 2001, there have been 125 drives in the NFL postseason where it was at least the fourth quarter, there was under a minute left to play, and the team on offense trailed by seven points or fewer at the start. So your standard clutch moment for a team or do or die drive that win and lose critical games. Out of those 125 drives in the NFL postseason history, or sorry, since 2001, only 40% of those teams saw the, you know, won the game because they're often scored on that drive. Um, some quarterbacks are pretty good at it, like Tom Brady, who went 5 for 11 at 40, 46%. Drew Brees went 3 for 6, 50%. Uh, on those drives, though, in Mahomes' career in the playoffs, he is 7 for 7. Uh, if you're not a big math person, 7 for 7 is 100%. So there has never been a drive in fourth quarter overtime with less than a minute to go where the Chiefs are down by less than a touchdown or touchdown or less, that he didn't score in either tie or win the game. So, he's clutch, in, in case you didn't know. But the last one, here, here's the one I really wanted to talk about, the Gronk versus Kelsey uh, postseason stats. These are really fun. So, they've both played 22 postseason games. Uh, so, a pretty level playing field there. Uh, receptions, Gronk has 98. Travis Kelsey has 165. Uh, yards, Gronk has 1,389. Kelsey has uh, 1,903. Yards per game, Gronk has 63. And Kelsey has 86.5. And touchdowns, Gronk has 15. Kelsey has 19. So again, not really a whole lot of competition there when you look at their postseason stats. Um, But I guess Gronk was a good blocker. So I, I don't know. You guys can have your blocker once again. I'll take my guy who's pretty pretty close to passing Jerry Rice on every postseason receiving mark. But uh, anyway, that those are a lot of just the random stats and stuff that I found on my phone recently. Uh, hopefully you stuck with me through all that. I know that was a lot, uh, just some weird stuff, but I thought those were fun. And th- those are the types of things that when I see them on social media, I just stop and be like, oh, I need to keep that. I need, I need to tell my listeners about that. Uh, so thanks for sticking with me on that one. 
the uh, the last serious thing I want to mention today and talk about for a few minutes is the Duke player Kyle Filipowski, who was injured during a court storming versus Wake Forest uh, this past Saturday. So, lots of different ways to look at this. Um, first up, I kind of want to list some of the the major conferences and and the punishments they have in place for storming the, the court or the field. The first one and the most severe, the most strict on these on these uh, rules, is the SEC. It just means more. Um, but the first offense when this happens in the SEC is a hundred thousand dollars to the school. Uh, the second offense is two hundred fifty thousand. The third offense and beyond, you get fined five hundred thousand dollars. And then the one thing I think is really interesting is if the opposing team is a conference opponent, the the money that the team that school has to pay goes to the other team, right? So, like if if Missouri were to beat Alabama on their home field, and then they storm storm the field or the court or whatever, Missouri would owe five hundred thousand dollars to Alabama or however whatever offense it is, they'd owe that much money to Alabama, which I think's pretty interesting. And I've seen this in the in the few SEC games that I've been to the sec really does the best job of keeping people off the field right i mean it still happens it happened this year when missouri beat k-state on the last second field goal and so it does still happen but i i I think you see it the least amount in the sec and a big part of it is is their stadium staff and security are trained pretty well on how to keep people off the floor keep people off the the field so that's the sec the big 10 according to espn which all this is according to an article on ESPN that I was reading, is that a discretionary fine can result on a third offense for a failure to, quote, provide adequate security for visiting teams from their arrival for a game through their departure. Uh, And then there is a private reprimand for a first offense, a public reprimand for a second. Okay, so they're not really as open about how much they fine teams, but it's in the ballpark, from what I understand, of the 10 to, you know, 10 to 25,000 range. So not quite as serious as the SEC, um, but, you know, five figures. And then the Big 12, you know, similar to the Big 10, um, Big 12 doesn't, didn't provide information on the amount of fines, but it did uh, give UCF a $25,000 penalty uh, for storming the court back in January after they beat uh, KU. And so, again, you, you kind of you see that in the ballpark of $25,000 for, for that Offense, you know, I don't know if that was their first, second, or third, or whatever, but a twenty-five thousand dollars fine to, for them. Um, and then the Pac-12, it is ten thousand for first penalty, twenty-five thousand for second, fifty thousand for third, and a hundred thousand for fourth and beyond. Uh, so you can see the build up there as we as it gets up to six figures. And then the last one, the last of the Power Five conferences, is the ACC. And their punishment, they don't have anything. The ACC does not have anything in place. Uh, no punishment or fines set in place to you know, guard against storming the court or the fields. And I think, obviously, that's where it starts. And I would not be shocked to see something like that come out very soon on potential fines and penalties for um, when court stormings happen in the ACC. And, you, you know, it, you hate to see a player get hurt, and that's what causes it. But, I mean, I think it's it's at least a step in the right direction. Um, 
right? It was kind of crazy to me thinking the ACC didn't have anything in place. And of course, in hindsight, it's like, well, that that wasn't very smart, was it? Um, But if I'm being totally honest, I don't think the monetary fines are enough to stop a bunch of crazy college kids from storming the court or storming the field. You know, especially in, in the day and age, we we everyone just gets to like record everything or even live stream themselves. Like if they want to go onto Instagram live and just, you know, video themselves on the court, on the field, like in this moment, like it's a fun, fun thing to do. So I'm, so I'm assuming I've never done it, but it, it looks pretty fun. The thing is why it keep, keeps happening is because it's fun, you know, and it makes for great content, you know, wow, look at me. I was on the field. I started on the court and like, it's cool. It's a cool thing to do. Um, but, it, but again, hundred thousand dollar fine to the school they don't care the kids are already paying the school a hundred thousand dollars anyway for them it's just like they, they i mean that's i don't think that's going to stop any college students from wanting to do that you know if, if you don't have a security team that can hold back five thousand college students running onto the field or onto the court and like if you don't have enough security to stop that on your own i think you know if the, and the ncaa really wants to put an end to this Here's what they should do. If if you storm the field or the court, your team gets the loss. So everything that team just did to, to earn the win, they don't get the win. They just switch. And then the team that lost gets the win. That The home team that won the game gets the loss. Seems, seems kind of crazy. Seems kind of harsh. Uh, but for the majority of the the kids in the stands, I think they really care about their team. You know, that's why they're a at the game in the first place and B storming the court when their team wins, because it's fun. They, they want to celebrate. They care about their team. They want their team to have win. They want their team to win games. Um, and so I, you know, I think this could be an effective way to go about this. And it would, I'm sure it would cause an outrage. Um, but I, I feel pretty strongly if they did that and say, hey, if you storm the court, your team loses, you know, uh, I feel like that'd be effective. seems like a simple fix to me. And, you know, I don't expect that to happen, but I would love to see something like that. Just to, the, again, the content would be great. The sports uh, TV shows would have a field day talking about it. And then just to see, you know, what, what looks like, you know, or at the end of the game, what it would look like if, if a court storming were, would normally happen, but then it doesn't. And then, you know, you have one or two guys that didn't know about the rule and they run on the court on their own and then they get tackled. Like the content would be just phenomenal. I, I, and I think that that could be what college basketball needs because we, I've, we've talked about this a little bit last year. At least men's college basketball doesn't really have like a, a star. They don't have a Caitlin Clark right now. Um, there's no one that's like that guy in college basketball. And they're losing people a little bit with the transfer portal and the NIL. So here's a fix for two, you know, two birds with one stone. You make court storming, um, the punishable by taking away the team's win away. There you go. Great content. Lots to talk about and people stop getting hurt. So you're welcome. NCAA. You got that one's for free. You can just have that. Um, but the thing, you know, I hate that players are getting injured from this now. Um, and honestly, I think we're lucky there haven't been like more serious injuries from it. But it it does feel like one of those things that it's bound to happen at some point. You know, all it takes is one crazy college student just stepping on the ankle or 
or just kicking a knee the wrong like you never know and just one wrong step for one of these high profile athletes and they tear their ACL and then that team season is done because they're the court got stormed after a loss and you just don't want it to come to that. So it's just one of the things you got to figure it out. Got to fix it. Um, so moving on now, and like I said, there are not, there isn't a ton of sports content right now, post Super Bowl, pre basketball playoffs, you know, pre March Madness, pre pre NBA playoffs. Um, to the point that even a lot of the, the shows that I keep up with or the, the content and the podcasts or the shows that I watch, a lot of the guys are, or a lot of those people are on breaks right now. They're on their vacation. This is like their their downtime because there's nothing to talk about. So that's why this episode is a little bit shorter. Um, hopefully things heat, heat back up a little bit in the next few weeks as baseball gets closer to starting and March Madness happens, of course. Um, so, But that being said, I want to move on to my top 10 cereal list. And like I, I mean, some of you may be listening just for this. And so for those of you, if I'm, if I'm talking about you right now, number one, thank, thank you for listening. But I got to say this, this list might be controversial, like I mentioned before. And I have my list and there, there's three cereals on, or that I should say aren't on the list that most people, I think if you ask them would put it on their list. Um, but in my opinion, the, these three cereals are overrated. And once I list my top 10, you're probably going to recognize what they are. And then I'll come back and I'll explain which ones. But without further ado, let's let's go ahead and get into the top 10 cereal list. Number 10, Fruity Pebbles. I think this is really good. I think there's a certain point when, you know, when they're in the bowl of milk, they... They have softened enough that they're not, you know, they're not like still crunchy, but they're also not soggy yet. And there's that little middle point and then the mix of the fruity flavor. And then when in the right texture, I think they're really good. Um, and they're pretty similar to my number nine, which is the Cocoa Pebbles. It's kind of the same thing, only they're chocolate instead of the fruity. And so, again, I like the texture when it when it's in the when it's found the right balance. Uh, between, you know, I don't want to eat them just crunchy, like out of the box, but I also don't want them to completely soggy. So when they're right there in the in the sweet spot, they're really good. Uh, next up, Frosted Flakes. Um, the, you know, again, they're simple, but also effective. They're, no, they're nothing crazy. They're just flakes with extra sugar on them, extra, you know, they're iced a little bit. And they're just just solid all around. And so they're number eight for me. Number seven, Captain Crunch. I think in terms of taste, it's it's it could be higher than number seven for me. Um, and there are times I enjoy the texture, but the thing with Captain Crunch, I just I feel like every time I eat them, it's just scratching the inside of my mouth. I'm like I just you know I don't know what it is, but I feel like I have to put a band aid on my tongue or on my the roof of my mouth or something, which I don't think would help it. Um, but Again, I do still really enjoy it. Sometimes it's just, you know, a little rough around the edges, literally. So if they if they could just soften their cereal a little bit, maybe that would help. But that's why they're a little bit lower and not, not higher, which it does have the potential to be. But it's uh, number seven for me, Captain Crunch. Up to number six, things start to get spicy a little bit here. I've got Raisin Bran. 
right? So I know this is one of those, a lot of people I talk to really don't like raisin bran. They don't like raisins in general. And, and for me, I would never like just be like, you know what I need to eat right now is a raisin. That would, that would never be me. But what I do love is raisin bran. When you when you throw in the the flakes with it, I guess that's what they're called, the bran. <laughs> you throw the bran in with a raisin. Um, and then especially if you make it raisin bran crunch, where they add the little crunchy pieces in there as well, I think it's really good. I think it's very underrated. Uh, and I would, you know, if, if that was all I could have for breakfast is raisin bran for cereal every day or even reverse it and have it at the end of the day at night before bed, I'd be happy. I'm a fan of Raisin Bran, and I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, number five, Fruit Loops. Okay, very solid. They, you know, kind of the better version of Fruity Pebbles. It's same flavor, but the texture is just better, in my opinion, because um, they're they're big enough that they're not gonna. It'll take some time for them to to, to soften up, and they won't just get immediately soggy. Um, so, okay, yeah, very solid all the way around. Big fan of Fruit Loops at number five. Number four. I have Honey Nut Cheerios, okay? Now, the important distinction here is Honey Nut Cheerios, okay? Regular Cheerios on their own are a waste of everyone's time, in my opinion. Um, if they don't have the Honey Nut, they don't have me. So, Honey Nut Cheerios on their, like, you know, good for your heart, I guess, right? The cholesterol thing that they, I don't know. I don't know anything about cholesterol, but I do know a thing or two about Honey Nut Cheerios, and I think they're delicious. And I think the, again, big fan of the texture. If you don't let them sit too long, I mean, I'm, I guess you could say that for most of these, if they sit too long, they become soggy and they're not great. But it's just one of those that it transitions well from, from, you know, the way they are in the box to what they are in in the bowl. So Honey Nut Cheerios there at four, number three, Honey Bunches of Oats. This is another one of those honey cereals, and I love the texture of Honey Bunches of Oats because, again, they, they're a little bit more crunchy typically, um, but they're just something about the way they sit in the milk that I think is great. The texture of it is just fantastic, and then you mix in the honey flavor with it. Very good. Very good. Very underrated. I don't know. I don't think as many people either know of or are as big of a fan as honey, honey bunches of oats. But for me, they're top three. They're on the, they're on the bronze metal stand. Um, number two on my list, I have apple jacks. So kind of similar to fruit loops in terms of the texture, uh, which is, which is already really good. But then something about the mix of the apple and the cinnamon, like, man, it's good. I, I, I wish I could, there was a way to describe it other than just that, but it's just, I, you know, I think they're delicious. I love their texture um, love their flavor. And a, another one of those, I would be happy if I, if I only had Apple Jacks for breakfast every day, I'd probably be pretty happy. So Apple Jacks at number two and then number one on my list may shock you. If you don't know, if you've never heard me talk about it, but number one on my list is cinnamon life. Okay. The only cinnamon cereal on my list which may have you asking questions right now, which I will talk about in a minute. But but right now, I want to talk about Cinnamon Life, which is my favorite cereal. Um, I think there's a perfect balance with Cinnamon Life when you like the the cinnamon sugariness of it, delicious. But I think Cinnamon Life it's also my favorite texture of any of the cereals. There's something about when it is 
just starting to soften from the milk. And you probably noticed that trend here as, as the list has gone on is that texture is important. And so, you know, for the texture of cinnamon life being so, so great along with the, the good flavor of the cinnamon, it's got, it's at my number one. And so if I were, you know, if someone told me you, you could have one cereal for the rest of your life and this is the last one, it's probably going to be cinnamon life. So if you don't agree with me, sorry. I mean, but you know, it's more for me. Great. Um, so yeah, th- that's my top 10 list. And I know, like I said, there, there's probably a few in your head right now that you're thinking like, how did, how did that one not make it? And I think the, the elephant in the room right now, you're probably thinking, why is cinnamon life? Sorry, not cinnamon life. Why is cinnamon toast crunch not on the list? Uh, I'll tell you why. Because it's overrated. Simple as that. Like the texture's okay. The cinnamon flavor, is it's not bad. But the thing I just don't like about Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the, well, what is it called? Just like the, the powder-ishness. I don't know if that's a word, but it it's like powdery almost of the the cinnamon flavor. It's, it's, it's like it's sprinkled onto it or something. I don't know. It's just weird to me. And then never, you know, and I'll eat it if that's what's available and that's all I can have. I'm like, sure, I'll have it and it's fine. But it, for me, it's not even a top 10 cereal. And I think it's overrated. And and just the, again, I'm not even sure if it's the, it's just something about the way it's sprinkled on. And, it, and it's just not, it ain't it. So uh, a few of the other popular ones that I think you may have also thought of. Uh, Lucky Charms for me also aren't, I mean, again, if they're there, that's all I can eat. I'll be fine. I'll be okay eating it. But. I think especially as a kid, you grow up and you love Lucky Charms because the, the marshmallows in them are just great, which they are, to be fair. But the ratio of marshmallow to the boring pieces in Lucky Charms, I mean, you know, I feel like every time I have a bowl of Lucky Charms, the ratio gets smaller and smaller to where it's like, are there only four marshmallows in my bowl right now? Like, what's the whole, what, like, what's the point? You know? And so... That's why I, I just didn't put Lucky Charms on there because I, I just I would, probably wouldn't choose Lucky Charms if, if it were up to me. And the last one, Cocoa Puffs. Uh, again, if you know me, you know I'm a big chocolate guy. And for me, I like the taste of Cocoa Puffs and I like what they do by turning your milk into chocolate milk. I, I enjoy that part of it. But what I don't like is the texture of Cocoa Puffs. For, and, and for me, in my experience with Cocoa Puffs, they go from very crunchy out of the box to immediately soggy. There's, there's really not a whole lot of in-between time. And maybe I'm being picky. Maybe I'm being too harsh. But but that's how I feel. You know, it, it's my list. And that's why I, I, I can't put Cocoa Puffs on. Right? And so those, those are kind of my big three of overrated cereals. And now I say that, again, if, if I were presented with a bowl of Cinnamon Toast Crunch or Lucky Charms or Cocoa Puffs, any of those right now, if someone were to be like, hey, all we have for breakfast right now is this cereal with a bowl of milk. I'd be like, okay, thank you. And I would eat it and I'd be fine. But if I'm going to the store right now and and getting myself a box of cereal to eat, whether it be for breakfast or I think what might be even better to eat late at night, there's nothing quite like a late night bowl of cereal. You know, I'm not getting any of those three. I'm getting cinnamon life. So anyway, that is my list of top 10 cereal. And so 
I may have ruffled some feathers. I may have stepped on some toes there. Um, but I, I'm convicted. I feel strongly about these. And so I'm, I'm, I'm curious for those of you listening, how do you feel about my list? Are you mad that I left something off? Do you agree with my, uh, my spicy view on some of these things? Let me know. Um, and, and with that being said, I want to, we're going to move on to the office quote of the week. And there's a good, a, a good one today that I think directs, um, or relates pretty well to my list of cereal coming from Michael Scott. And he said, and he's on the phone with David Wallace who says, and he says, well, actually I can't cook and I am starting a restaurant. Mike's cereal shack. I'm thinking we'll have as many varieties as you can buy in the store. And so I'm like, you know, if that were a real thing, Mike's cereal shack, I would, I would totally be looking to invest. Uh, cause I'd be all about it. And maybe I should even look into doing it on my own. Ben cereal shack. I think there's a good ring to that. I like that. And if any of you know me, you know, I'm not really much of a cook either. And so if I were to open a cereal shack, I could probably make that work pretty well. Uh, Cause I also can't cook. So yeah, we'll go ahead and we'll put a, we'll put it into it right there. We'll, we'll wrap it up now. Thank you all for listening again. Um, Sorry I couldn't bring a little bit more sports content today. I, I did my best with, with what's going on in the sports world right now. Uh, but as you, like I've mentioned, there's just it's a bit of a slow time. So this is, this is a trade-off to football season ending and the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. It means there's less to talk about for a little bit, but hopefully things heat back up again soon. Um, but yeah, again, thank you for listening. And please let me know what you think of my list of cereal very curious about what your thoughts are so thank you for listening and as always go chiefs